chapter 4. Second Kings chapter 4. Thank God for my amen corner. Second Kings chapter 4. I'm going to break this wall in this morning. Second Kings chapter 4. Hallelujah. I feel like preaching this morning. Second Kings chapter 4. Beginning with the first verse. Beginning with the first verse. I'm going to read around it. I'm going to read around it. Stay right there. I'm going to read around it, and then we will see how far along we come. Oh my God. 2 Kings chapter 4. Sons of hell. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse number 1. I'm going to read around it, and then we'll see how far along we get. 2 Kings chapter 4. We're going to begin with verse number 1. All right. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse number 1. Here begins the reading of God's holy and eternal word. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elijah, saying, Your servant, your servant, my husband, is dead. Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. Wow. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but, wait, 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 wait. I don't have anything in the house, but I think I have something, but I don't think it's really much of anything. Mm. Come on. But a jar of oil. Mm. And he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere. From all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons and then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her two sons. Verse number six. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel so the oil ceased. The oil ceased not because the oil wasn't ready to be poured. The oil ceased because there was no longer something to contain it. And he said, go and sell the oil, pay your debt, and you and your sons will live off the interest. You and your sons will live off the rest. Father, in the name of Jesus, standing in your word, trusting in your power, Speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We've been doing this series called Spring Cleaning, Fixing Your Faith, Your Finances, and Your Future. Uh, but we've been really honing in on faith. God's been really dealing with me on faith. I know it's 
Mother's Day, and we will uh, touch some of that into this, but this is a word for everyone, uh, corporately. But I want to I deal with this uh, this morning, this morning, this morning. Notice the passage of Scripture. First and Second Kings were originally one book in its entirety. Originally in its structure, it was one book. It was one book that begins to chronicle the stories of the kings. We really come to understand how this plays out, not in the books of First and Second Kings, but we come to really understand how this plays out in First and Second Samuel. In First and Second Samuel. It's in First and Second Samuel that we're able to really understand how this plays out. Because in First and Second Samuel, we're able to understand uh, that there were some significant things that began to transpire and began to happen as we move and as we come to realize what God does as he sets the narrative for the children of Israel. Stay with me, stay with me, stay with me, stay with me. Notice uh, in 1 Samuel, in our Bibles, in 1 Samuel, the original Hebrew, all of these books were tied to the kings. We see God use a mother by the name of Hannah. God uses this woman in a very unique way uh, because she was barren and she had uh, brought shame upon her family because barrenness during this time, and, and around this particular time period, was something that was frowned upon, that was not uh, looked upon lightly and brought shame upon the family. But she goes before God and she prays. She's praying, but nothing audible is coming out. And Eli comes to her and says he thought she was drunk because he looked at her and she was talking, but nothing was coming out. He looks at her and he makes an assumption because of her lips moving, even though nothing was coming out. But the reality is she wasn't talking to him. She was talking to him. And in that moment, God pregnates her with a son named Samuel. The book of Judges at the end says, and, it, and I want to build this case in just a moment. I'm going to get to where I need to get. The book of Judges at the end says that the people did what was right in their own eyes. And here we are, Samuel raises up. And Samuel is the last judge, the first of his kind of the prophets. And then when you get to around chapter 17, he begins to anoint a young man by the name of David who he finds in the grass tending to sheep. And he looks at him and he does not look the part. He's ruddy, he's smelling, he smells like sheep. And he says he's going to be king. This sets the tone for the future of the narrative. But now David is gone. Samuel is gone. Solomon is gone. All of the original voices that held the family together are gone. When I think about family reunions, I get real joyful memories. Because family reunions are so significant. Family reunions are so significant, hear me carefully, because they enable you to connect with relatives that you know. They enable you to see loved ones that you haven't seen in a while. And it might not be a reunion in that sense, but it could just be a, a family dinner, if you will. Uh, but I've noticed that family reunions have become much more challenging for me in recent memory because the people that I always wanted to see, the giants of the family, 
are no longer sitting at the table. And then I discovered that when you sit at a table and the giants are absent, the conversation at the table changes. And when we look at this particular passage of scripture, the children of Israel, in the absence of their spiritual giants, have changed their conversation. And instead of focusing and looking at God, they've begun to go inward and looking only at themselves. God now has to raise up prophets to remind them of who they are. Because they don't look like, thank you, daughter, they don't look like what he originally designed and intended them to be. And now we here find ourselves in the book of 2 Kings chapter 4. And the Bible declares unto us a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets. To really understand this, you have to understand that uh, the prophets were a company. The prophets were a crew. The prophets were a posse. The prophets were an entourage. The prophets were a group of students that would sit under their master teacher to be instructed, to be guided. They did not simply sit there and give personal predictions. Come on. They were taught the scriptures. Go there. They were taught the Torah. They understood the word. So when they spoke, they spoke to you prophetically from the word. Come on. Go they were not speaking to you from their own accord, their own ideas or what you might have liked to hear. They spoke to you from the depths of God. And therefore, these company of prophets were in a large group. It is a picture of what is to come when the chief prophet himself, named Jesus, will take a group of ragtag disciples and develop his own entity known as the church. He will start with the twelve, then the seventy. Then the multitudes, which then carries over after his resurrection into 120. And then 3,000 and then the entire world. It's a picture of what is to come. This was one of the men that was faithful to the man of God. And I have to pause here for a moment because we live in a society that's not faithful to anything. Come on. This week the world was shocked. As one of the uh, one of the oligarchs of America announced from his perch that he and his wife would be divorcing after over 25 years of marriage, and many began to wonder how could somebody, how could a couple that appears to have everything lose each other? And here we are in this particular passage of scripture. I want to paint on the canvas of your imagination this morning. Here we are in this particular passage of scripture. This prophet is following the prophet. He's learning the art of seeing. He's learning how not to see what he wants to see, but to allow God to sanctify his imagination and to cause him to redream from where he is. Because in order for God to redeem the society, he needs a voice to redream with him. Come on. To imagine a possibility 
in the midst of impossibilities. He needs someone like Ezekiel to go into the dry bones. Can I talk to you this morning? To go into the dry bones. And when he goes into the dry bones, he has to speak into the dry bones until flesh begins to grow, until grass begins to grow, until trees and limbs and all of a sudden, what was once a dry, drought, deserted place becomes a fruitful place. And I believe in this hour and in this season, you under the sound of my voice, no matter if you're listening to me at home, no matter if you're listening to me work preparing Mother's Day dinner, no matter if you're listening to me while you're working, no matter where you are with your family or your loved ones, but above, I came to tell you this morning that despite how much of a drought this last year might have appeared to be, God is looking for somebody to redream so he can redeem. Mm. Wow. Notice, prophet comes. As the prophet comes, he's learning. He's apprenticing. He's studying. To study meant that he would be at the dust of the feet of his teacher. So he was one that would have his scent. He was one that would be able to flow with him. I was talking to one of my mentors the other day, Archbishop Dawson. He said to me, he said, when it comes to succession, when it comes to anything, it's not about who you pick. It's about who's able to flow with you. And I want you to just, just lightly type with me if you can. And just say with me, get in the flow. Get in the flow. You have to get in the flow. It's reminding me of the Karate Kid years ago, not the new one, but the old one, when, when, when Mr. Karate was trying to teach him, he would say, wax on, wax off. He thought he was doing something menial, but it was training his arms in the art of combat. And God will oftentimes do things that you think are a waste of your time because he's getting ready to redeem your time. Woo! Come on here. The prophet, prophet, uh, his name is Obadiah. Obadiah, a name that we are familiar with. But this prophet was one that was following the man of God. And all of a sudden, he dies. And his widow is left with nothing. She is a widow. She is a mother. She is one that no longer has the strength of her support. All of her resources have been depleted. There was no unions. There was no pension fund. All that she had was gone. And yet the Bible invites us into this discourse. It invites us into this dialogue. And it, it invites us into this challenge because here is her conundrum. She's looking at the man her husband followed all these years. Wondering why in the world if he was following the ways of God and the man of God. Why did she end up in a situation like this? And here is the tension of the text this morning. Sometimes life just doesn't make any sense. To quote some of the ancestors of black literature, they would say that life ain't been no crystal stair. Sometimes you'll literally wonder why in the world am I going through this in this particular moment in my life. And she comes 
to the prophet, crying out, saying, You, your servant, my husband, is dead. This morning, this morning, I was trying to figure out. Uh, first of all, I was trying to figure out why she didn't say my husband first. Why didn't she identify him first as her husband, then as his servant? The text does not give us an answer, but I found that it was interesting that she places the servant in front first. And I want to argue this morning that she's placing the servant in front of the husband first because she's pointing the blame at him. Mm. Wow. And many times when God has us in seasons, when God has us in seasons that don't make sense, we can't always place the blame on him, so we place it on the person we see in front of us. And the Bible says, the Bible says, she looks at him and says, your servant, my husband, your servant, my husband. And he looks at him and she says, she says, your servant, your servant speaks to concern. What she's saying is, this is about you just as much as it is about me. She says, your servant concerned my husband covenant. She placed his concern above their covenant. Wow. And notice what happens when she does it that way. She says, your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he feared God. Because he walked with you. He came to Bible side when nobody else did. He died when nobody else gave. He did for you what nobody else would do for you. There's always one you can count on and a whole lot of others that get flaky. But this one was one you know really was about. And we move, we move, we move, we move, we move, we move, we move from a concern and a covenant and a crisis to now looking at this crisis because she says, my husband is dead. So we shift from concern and covenant to crisis. And this is really when it gets crazy because there's something about a crisis that causes us to cry out to God. Walter Brueggemann in his book, The Prophetic Imagination, uh, said this. He said, he said, it is the vocation of the prophet to keep alive the ministry of imagination. I'm going to say it again. Yeah, again. He said, it's the vocation of the prophet to keep alive the ministry of imagination. So here's, here's the principle. Here's the principle. The imagination must come before the implementation. Come on. That's why Hebrews 11 and 1, the hall of faith that we've been dealing with. Now, faith is the substance come on. of things hoped for. Faith allows me to imagine before I can implement. I've got to be able to see it before I have it. Mm. Uh, that's why I've been saying the years. That faith, and I've been teaching this, I'm going to keep saying, faith is living in the concrete, mm -hmm. but seeing in the abstract. Yes. It's the ability to extend beyond what is possible and what does not always make sense. 
For the imagination must come before the implementation. Let's go a step deeper. Come here, come here, come here. Notice she says, you know. She puts the blame on the man of God. You know speaks to commitment. You know speaks to commitment. Have you noticed that whenever you have a major loss in your life, the first thing you do is think about all that you put into it. And what ends up happening, you say, I'll never give myself like that again. I'll never do like that again. I'll never speak like that again. I'll never trust like that again. For some of you, you say, I'll never love like that again. Because uh, you, you begin to resent the fact that what you gave was not reciprocated. And I want to preach to somebody this morning who's been like this little woman in which those who were the closest to you, those who were the closest to you, were the ones that did not come to understand you, didn't look out for you. Notice, she says, you know you fear the Lord, and the creditor is coming. I want to look at this. This speaks to credibility, because this whole time he was following you, but he wasn't paying his bills. Mm. This whole time he was walking with you, but he did not have his stuff together. And so now, I'm bearing the brunt of his decisions. And she said, the creditor is coming, and because I don't have anything as collateral, they're going to take my two kids, they're going to take my future, and they're going to literally imprison my future. They're going to take my two children as slaves, and you got to do something about it. And I like Prophet's answer smoothly. He simply looks at her and says, <laughs> what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? I want to submit to you moms, dads, brothers, sisters, nephews, nieces, cousins, everybody, that what is the most important thing is not what you lost. Wow. What is the most important thing is what you still have left. And sometimes we can be so wounded by what we lost, it paralyzes us. It paralyzes us. Yeah, because you don't understand. I, I, I lost this amount of money in the business. I lost this, and I did this, and I lost that, and I did this, and this happened, and that person happened, and this happened. I can't possibly start over again. But I've come to serve you. Notice that God delights in divine detours. And just when you think you've gotten to the end of your rope, you'll discover that your end was his bend. Mm. And he'll bring you back in alignment with the purpose of the assignment he has for you. And notice what happens here. She says to him, the creditor is coming. I'm suffering. It's his fault. He was following you. It's your fault. But he was with you. But notice the call to action. So what do you want me to do about this? Now that you know all of this... What do you want me to do about this? 
And so many times we stay so 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 tied to the present and to the past that we can't look to the future. Yes, I understand what has happened back then. I'm not trying to dismiss it, but you can't allow it to paralyze you from potential. He says, "What do you want me?" Moving quickly, what do you want me to do for you? What do you have in your house? I want to submit to you this morning that everything you need is in the house. Mm. Even if it seems insignificant. I used to, I used to, I'm doing a lot of reflecting. Every time my birthday comes around in a few weeks, I'm always reflecting and doing a lot of reflecting and thinking and doing memoir writing and all of that. And I, I discovered that I made tremendous mistakes over the years, especially in ministry, because I always thought that the greatest blessings would be what came from out there. And I'm now understanding that the greatest blessings are the ones that come from in here. That God will start something as a seed inside of you. And he will mature it and develop it until it germinates into a harvest. And for somebody on the sound of my voice right now, you're in seed form. And you don't see the fruit yet, but you will reap if you faint not. Let's move. Notice what happens. Hallelujah. Look at says, tell me, what do you have in the house? She says, nothing. My godfather, Miss Rich, would say, she lied. <laughs> nothing. He said, she lied. Nothing. I don't have anything in the house. But, oh, wait, 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 a jar of oil. Come on. I don't know what this can do. But it's here. Mm. Come on. I don't know if it'll change my situation, but it's here. Mm. I don't know if it can change my condition, but it's here. And many times, how many times have you said to God, yeah, I see that, but that can't possibly be enough for anything to happen. And I want to preach to somebody this morning under the sound of my voice. You've been discarding the jars. Mm. You've been tossing them out into recyclable too fast. Instead of understanding that it's going to come from the littlest things. The greatest, greatest and tremendous miracles. Notice what happens. He says, go all around. Get vessels, borrow them, and fill them. Borrow them and fill them. Here is the crux of this message. The call to action. We always talk about the oil representing the anointing. But as I prayed this morning, I've been about this word. I also have come to understand that this oil also represents cooperation. Because I have to partner with God to fulfill the purpose of God. And therefore, he looks at them and says, get the oil. Get the oil. Shut the door behind you. And begin to follow my instruction. Well, I've taught for years, every miracle yes. is tied to an instruction. To an instruction. Every miracle is tied 
tied to an instruction. All she had to do was take action. All she had to do was obey. All she had to do was go outside of her comfort zone. And here's what that meant. That meant being vulnerable enough to ask for help. And sometimes we can't get the breakthrough we need because we don't want to ask anybody for help. We want to be the sovereign. We want to be the ultimate one. But she had to get vulnerable enough. She had to get desperate enough. Are you empty enough to be full? She had to get desperate enough to do something that would make her uncomfortable. And the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, Bible says the son would come near her. And as the son would come near her, he would literally come and she would say, bring me a vessel. And he would pour Pour, 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 and the oil didn't stop flowing. Mm. He would pour, 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 and the oil wouldn't stop flowing. And he would pour, 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 and the oil wouldn't stop flowing. Mm. She would pour, 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 and the oil wouldn't stop flowing. She would pour, pour. Poor, poor, and the oil wouldn't stop flowing. The problem is not that the oil wouldn't stop flowing. The problem is they only had but so many containers. Mm. And what I want to submit to you today is that when you have faith, your faith is tied to the flow. Mm. And whenever your faith is tied to the flow, as you begin to pour, God will begin to pour out. But he needs something to work with. And so as her faith came to pour, the flow began to pop. As her faith began to flow, the flow began to come. So the faith and the flow were in step together. And I came to tell somebody this morning, God is going to bring you into a place in which he nurtures your faith to the point in which the flow is going to come because you watched him do one thing. And since he filled this cup, and since he filled that cup, and since he filled that cup, and since he filled that cup, let me go back. Since he healed me this time, since he delivered me that time, since he got my family out of this pit, since he helped me when I had no money, since he helped me when nobody else was there, since he helped me when nobody else looked for me, since he looked out for me when nobody else was there, I can never get to the place in which I forget what God has done for me. And I want to tell you this morning, don't you get selective amnesia when it comes to your testimony. You've got to understand that downtime is prep time. When they don't call you, study harder. When they don't give you the deal, work harder. When you don't see any rain, praise it anyhow. Because in the midst of the drought, God will begin to open the floodgates of heaven and things will begin to flow. I want you to understand this morning that extraordinary moves of God begin with ordinary acts of obedience. Extraordinary moves of God begin with the ordinary. All it takes is a yes in your spirit, man, to believe. 
believe it even though the bank account is in bad? Can you believe it even though the pandemic is bad? Can you believe it even though people are trying to figure out how they're going to make through, how they're going to get through this situation? Do you have the faith to believe that God will do exceedingly and abundantly above all we could ever ask for faith? And that's why this morning I want to title this message Face your faith. You got to stare your faith in the mirror and understand that where you are now is not where God is calling you to be. I feel a little nostalgic today. Look at somebody in your life and say with me, where I am now is not where God is calling me to be. Therefore, what I got to do, I have to expect greater because I understand that God is going to do exceedingly abundantly above what I have seen before. So this and this and this and this and this and this is only tied to my capacity. And as your container widens, he can pour more. As your capacity widens, he can pour more. As your ability widens, he can pour more. You might have thought you couldn't do it, but he's increasing you anyway. And I don't know who this word is for this morning, but I came to tell somebody in the midst of what you're going through, this is a season where God is saying, there's a demand to expand. There's a demand to expand. There's a flow to the faith. There's a flow to your life. And if you can get in the river, you'll see God do extraordinary and unusual things. Notice, notice what happens as I close. Notice what happens. As she begins to pour, as she begins to pour, it does not stop flowing. It only stopped because there were no more containers. Mm. Who would have ever thought, 2,000 years later, that a little boy leaving his house for the day, and he didn't say, goodbye, Mom, I'm going to make history today. He just took his lunchbox, and he went and found a multitude. And when Jesus said it was time to feed, Everybody said it was impossible. But this little one takes the two fish and five loaves he has and presents them to Jesus. And bread comes from bread, fish comes from fish, and all of a sudden you look and they had something left over. Your miracle is not in what you lost. It's, it's in what's left. And I believe that in this hour, I want you to hear me, especially on my family. I believe in this hour, God is calling us to trust him in the midst of what appears to be impossibility. And I'm going to say this, and I've been saying it for the last several weeks. The pandemic, the time that we're living in, this post-pandemic world, uh, it is literally a time filled with much volatility. The rest of this decade is going to be filled with much volatility. And even in the midst of it, God is going to do something we have never seen. My amen.
may call it and say something right now. I don't know what it is, but I know it's something good. <laughs> and I tell my daughter every night when she goes to bed and when she wakes up in the morning, tell her these words. I said, you have been born in the greatest time in history. You have been born in the greatest time in history. I said, whether she wants to hear it or not, because I want to speak over her life. And in the midst of all this chaos, God has a plan. And it's only yes. when it gets dark enough that he sends things to be birthed in the midst of it. Face your faith softly. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. We trust you for your wisdom. We trust you for your grace. We trust you for your love. We trust you for your truth which endures forever. Be glorified. Be honored. Be exalted. Be praised. In Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, if you're not saved, if you're not saved, if you're not saved, we offer Christ to you. We offer Christ to you. It's fine. We offer Christ to you. It's fine. We offer Christ to you. We offer Christ to you. I want you to understand, as I told you, we're still working through all of this Sound stuff, all this new stuff. I don't even know how to work on this stuff. But either way, God's doing something tremendous. If you're not saved, I want you to know all you have to do is confess your sin unto Jesus Christ. Repent. He's faithful and just to heal you, deliver you, save you, set you free. Your instruction can go to our website, globalfirenow.com. Uh, you click at the bottom for salvation, uh, for discipleship, and we will follow up with you this week. Our team will follow up with you. If you are saved out of the Arkansas State, you want to be part of this work, part of this ministry, we open our arms to you. Whether you are close to us or not, we are right where you are. I've been saying all rules now. God's hand is on your life. We have done some tremendous things. Saints, we have some more to go. Our Faith Forward campaign, and we're continuing to Develop and remodel and prepare towards our fall reentry. We'll share some more about what that looks like in the days ahead. Hallelujah. I want to pray for every mother, grandmother, godmother, surrogate mother. You claim on your taxes, mother. I'm going to pray for you. That the Lord would cover you. Oh, what a responsibility, what a privilege to be one that is able to mold the minds of the future. And I pray that God will give you wisdom and discernment, clarity for what is to come. In the name of the Lord, I bless you now in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. First thing, when you come and she 